Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. We moved to California in December, January, January of 2010. And before we moved, we weren't sure what we were going to do or where we were going to go. And so when we believed God was guiding us here to Modesto, to Cross Point, we, Sherry and I had a conversation with our kids and, and we talk to them and talk to them about moving to California. And it's in the middle of the year, you know, school year and their friends and all of those things. So it was, you know, a little bit, a little bit traumatic. And, and so as we're, as we're talking to the kids about moving um, in the moment, which felt right at the time uh, to help us get over this, you know, hump of sadness and such, I made the statement. I said, and we'll get a dog, <laughs> which is just excellent parenting all around, uh, and, and, so, and so anyway, Sherry was like, I don't think we've talked about this at all. Um, but we moved, we moved here in January of 2010, and, and then you kind of go to the end of the year, uh, Christmas of 2010, and uh, I want you to uh, see what our Christmas morning was, was like. Go. Go. Open. Keep moving. Keep going. That is my one and only moment claiming that I am the best parent ever. <laughs> I'm not the best parent today because I didn't clear it with my kids to show that, and I learned that this morning after the first service. <laughs> so that went well too. Um, so I'm living in the past. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so, so to today, we, we had this conversation as a family. Um, it's kind of a weird family conversation, but, but I don't know how it came about, but we we're actually talking about um, you know, like, what would be most traumatic for us in our family if, if we were to lose one of our, our family members? And um, it was unanimous with all of the kids that they would have the hardest time if we lost Baxter. They're like, I mean, we love you, mom and dad, but it just would be really hard to lose the dog. <laughs> so it was, it was that gift worked out. Um, and, and so really, you know, it's, it's interesting because Baxter, our dog, is the most adored in our family. Um, it's just true, he is. And uh, Brenda LaCour, last service, um, was a little bit upset with me because she's like, where's the picture of the dog? And I was like, I, I just got the video. Um, but next week, I'll, I'll, I'll bring a picture of our dog. But anyway, um, we adore what is most precious to us. The miser adores his wealth, the intellect adores his knowledge, the patriot adores his freedom. 
we all have what C.S. Lewis calls an, an overwhelming first. That thing that we adore, that we love, that we pursue, that we prioritize more than anything else. And the New Testament teaches us that this spot, this overwhelming first, must be reserved for Jesus Christ the Lord. That, that, that whatever that overwhelming first, that's what we truly adore. Not adore or adoration in a sense of, oh, what a cute little thing, but, but adoration of, I, I just will do anything to be close to this. I will do anything to, to, to be around this. I will do anything to hold on to this. I will, and that idea of, of true adoration of something. And so adoration of Jesus is our privilege, but it is also our obligation because Jesus above all and everything else is worthy of our first place, of that overwhelming first. But it is really, really difficult, isn't it, to keep Jesus as our overwhelming first? Because there's so many other things that draw our attention away and, and, and we tend to adore over Jesus in those moments. Things that become our overwhelming first that we get, we get drawn to and they become priority. The, the Christmas hymn that we wanna look at this morning is O Come All Ye Faithful. And this was originally written by a guy named John Francis Wade as uh, Adeste Fideles in 1743. And this song has been developed over the years. It's been translated and it's kind of been added to and all kinds of things. And so it was translated into English by Frederick Oakley in 1841. Frederick Oakley was a Catholic priest who I believe later went on to create sunglasses. Um, <laughs> don't groan about that. That was good. <laughs> uh, but over the years, the hymn has evolved largely due to language and the overall tone and the theme of the song. And this, this Christmas hymn is a little bit different because a lot of the hymns we sing look at the advent of the Lord, which Advent is basically saying, come Lord Jesus. The advent, advent really means come Lord, this Lord that we were eagerly waiting for, we've been waiting and, and anticipating. And so many, many songs that we sing talk about the coming of the Lord, the arrival of the Lord, but this, this is a little bit of a different focus where, where, oh, come all ye faithful, the focus is to invite all those who would be faithful to come and adore the Messiah, the King who was born to save. So it's not an invitation for Jesus to come, it's an invitation for us to come to Jesus. It's based on the invitation to come and see given to the shepherds by the angelic host in Luke chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter two. And I'm gonna read uh, the, the narrative that, that, that encompasses this moment on the hillside that this hymn is, is, is written after. Luke chapter two, starting in verse eight. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
and this will be a sign for you, and you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So this angelic vision announcing the birth is pretty significant. And, and one of the interesting things about this that, that I don't know if, if we thought about, here's, here's the interesting thing. The greatest concert of all time the, the most extra, extravagant and overwhelming and unbelievable performance of the past, present, and future, the most professional, the most inspiring, the most perfected ever in the history of, of human, human existence was performed on a hillside near Bethlehem Years ago, it's interesting. You know, we we, we go to a concert or or a production, and 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 you know, the better it is, the more expensive it is. The 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 greater it is, the more we have to pay. And in fact, it tends to uh, eliminate certain people from being able to go. If you don't have the money for it, you can't go. You can't experience that because it's so incredibly expensive. And and typically, the maybe the more elite people get to go, the more the more well-to-do people get to go to see these things. And, and if, if maybe somebody who's more normal gets to go, they don't have probably great seats either. But here, the greatest thing that would have been the highest price of anything ever performed, there was no ticket, there was no price. And it was done on a hillside, and there wasn't very many people who attended this concert. It was a handful of shepherds. It's significant and unexpected because it is given to a despised group of people. And in doing so, this is what God does. God extends his favor and invitation to people who've done nothing to deserve it, and he grants them peace. If there was ever a question about the gospel and the opportunity for salvation, it's answered right here before we even see Jesus. It's that it doesn't matter who you are. You are invited to come and see Jesus. You who would be faithful, come and see Jesus and you are able to adore him and see him as he is and he will see you. Just in case it was confusing as to who this invitation goes out to, it was given to the, to the bottom of society so that everyone would know that he is for everyone and that he grants them peace. And it's interesting because peace expresses the very nature of salvation. What is salvation? Salvation is peace between you and God, brought to you by the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And so peace, there is no salvation without peace because salvation is peace. 
And so I think that's why there's so much scripture that calls us to be a people of peace, to be peacemakers, to be a man or woman of peace. Because peace is, is, the, is, is the very expression of salvation. See, the shepherds that, that got to watch this concert, they were considered ceremonially unclean. They were outcasts in Israel. They were generally rough group of people that you didn't necessarily want to be around. The good news on that night that those, that angelic host proclaimed was that God did not send a reformer. God did not send a judge. God did not send a soldier, but God sent a savior who would save people from their sins including the shepherds, including the kings, and everyone in between. In verse 16, where, where it says that they with haste, they went to find, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby in a manger. That, that, verse, in, in, that verse, the force of that is that they, they found the manger after a search. That it wasn't just that they were invited, that there wasn't this invitation that, that, that had, you know, like the, uh, the address on it. I mean, I don't think they got like pamphlets from the angels, but, but they were told that Jesus would be lying in a manger in Bethlehem. So in my mind, I have this picture of, you know, like one of the like crime TV shows where they're trying to find the kidnapped victim who's in a warehouse in Bethlehem, and there's 27 warehouses in Bethlehem, and they're narrowing it down by cleaning up the audio. I don't know, I'm getting way too much into this. But, but, basically, but basically, I mean, I imagine the shepherds going to Bethlehem and saying, let's split up and go to all of the barns we know of. <laughs> and if you find a barn with a baby in a feeding trough, then let us know so we can all join together. And that's what I imagine happened as they, as they raced. And so they had to perform this search. And so they were invited to come, but they had to obey and it required a search. They had to obey and they had to look. They had to seek and they found Jesus. And so the question I think this morning is, is what is the response to the Messiah, the Savior, the King of all kings and the Lord of lords? What is the response? Well, the shepherds, these guys who probably in modern day would have showed up on their Harleys, from the bar, <laughs> and, 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 and these, what, what was their response? It was adoration. They came to adore the king of kings. This baby, who was vulnerable and helpless, who this incredible host of heavenly citizens had proclaimed to be born, they showed up and they, they showed up with adoration for this, this baby. Oh, come let us adore him. Think about the lyrics that we sing. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. And even thinking about in the context of the shepherds, they had just seen an angelic host, a whole bunch of spiritual beings above the, the horizon on the hillside proclaiming that, and, and that, that this baby that they were going to see is king even over the angels. Remember that their response to the angelic host was they were afraid. They were afraid of one angel. Imagine when the whole choir showed up. 
And, and so they, they see that they're born the king over even all the angels. Sing all ye citizens of heaven above. Literally just happened. All of the citizens of heaven, all of the created spiritual beings that God created in heaven are, are singing from heaven above. Glory to God in the highest. And then what Travis wrote from the gospel, of John, read from the gospel of John, word of the Father now in flesh appearing. That Jesus was there in the beginning and he was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. These, these lyrics describe adoration. They describe an, an awe and a marvel and an amazement and a wonder and a humility toward this baby. And so the question that I think that brings up for us is this, and for me, is do others who experience me believe that I genuinely adore Jesus? Do people who interact with you genuinely believe that you adore Jesus? We tend to get fired up about a lot of things, but the question is, and it remains, is it clear from your life, not just your words, that you tack on to your behavior that you adore Jesus? Would people believe that you adore Jesus? You see, we're, we're adept at doctrinal criticisms. We're really good at cultural rebukes. We're pretty good at biblical exegesis, contending for the faith and apologetic and ethical debates. If you look at our social media, we have pithy spiritual quips. We're all about moral advice. And we quote Christian leaders past and present, but what seems less front and center is adoration of Jesus. Seems like we're known for a lot of these other things, but we're not really known for adoring Jesus. And, and, and so adoration, and here's what I want you to understand, and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. Adoration of Jesus will result in drawing people to him far more than winning any culture war. And understand what I'm saying here. Don't misunderstand me. There are a lot of things that are going on around us that run completely against God's holiness his justice, his purity, his character. There are a lot of things around us that are egregiously sinful and evil. But what we need to remember and understand and whether or not we want to believe it is winning culture wars will not win souls. What will draw others to Jesus is when they see us adoring Jesus in the midst of all of that. You see, Jesus Christ is the apex of all that is precious, the center of all that is glorious and delightful. He is the very point of existence. He is the son of the living God, the alpha and omega, the first and the last, who was and is and is to come. Oh, come, let us adore him. Do we adore Jesus when we are confronted with him? When we read the Bible, we seek to understand and apply it. 
But when we see Jesus, do we stagger at his beauty and approach him with awe? When we see the lost acting as fools in the news, our righteousness runs through our fingertips to keyboards. But when we see Jesus before us, does our righteousness crumble and do we cry out in humble worship? When we hear our Christian or political heroes say something smart or funny or challenging, we echo them to promote them. But when we see Jesus, does our hearts respond with shouts of acclamation or do we just sing shouts of acclamation? Do our lives shout acclamation about Jesus, adoration of Jesus? When we see someone is wrong on the internet, we feel compelled to speak up and stand in the gap of their ignorance and our assurance. But when we see Jesus supreme, sovereign, and saving, do we feel the wonder and light of his glory? Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. See, as we, as we think about this, experience teaches us that it is near impossible to seriously adore Jesus at Christmas time. We tend to be consumed with giving and getting, and, and honestly, I really, hope, I really hope that topical solution helps, because the last two years, Matt, I feel like you've aged. <laughs> but that's not important now. We can talk about that later, sorry. <laughs> But we get so caught up with the gifts and, and giving and hustle and bustle, we can easily be content with singing a song as our adoration rather than doing it with our lives. You see, here's the thing that I struggle with and probably you do too. We have much to be concerned about today. I mean, it seems like, at least for me, I feel like in my lifetime thus far, I have far more to be concerned about today than I ever have before. But to be honest, there's always been a lot to be concerned about. Think of Mary and Martha. In Luke chapter 10, there's a story of when Jesus goes to Bethany and he goes to stay with Lazarus and Mary and Martha's house. And so there's a group of men there gathered in the living room and Jesus is teaching and Martha's in the kitchen and she's working to provide and prepare a meal and Mary is out in the living room and she's sitting there at the feet of Jesus and Martha, understandably so, complains and says, look, I'm doing all this work. And Jesus responds and this is what he says. He says, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. How many of us are anxious and troubled about many things? <laughs> I, I think we live in the, the season, a very long season of troubled and anxious about many things. He says, you are troubled and anxious about many things, but one thing is necessary. In the midst of all that she had to be troubled and anxious about, there's only one thing he says is necessary. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. What did Mary do? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus adoring him. 
She was simply adoring Jesus. You know what is better than the endless pursuit of that which concerns you? It is most definitely taking a position and a posture of adoration of Jesus. That is choosing better. In choosing adoration, we choose joy, we choose hope, we choose peace, because those things overshadow when we adore Jesus all of the the troubles and worries and anxieties that we have. And so this Christmas, I, I, would, I, would, I would suggest, I would recommend that a few things this week, in fact, maybe today, but this week that you do, I, I suggest that we focus on adoring Jesus. First thing that I would challenge you to do is express your love and longing for Jesus with others. Invite others to, to express their love and longing for Jesus. Adore him together. One of the things that I've been convicted about, and I have I believe pretty strongly right now that has come over the last couple years is this, that, that all, my, all my life I have participated in communion in church settings and official, official structures. But that's not what it was in the New Testament, was it? Jesus wasn't in church when he demonstrated communion. The early Christians got together and when they got together, they broke bread and, and drank the cup. This past Thanksgiving, we were with another family and we were having our Thanksgiving meal and we're talking about what we we're grateful for and, and I, asked, I asked us all to kind of take the role that we had and the cup that we were drinking and we did communion together. And it was an awesome opportunity to adore Jesus and remember that he's right there with us. I would encourage you this Christmas, maybe when you share your Christmas brunch or your Christmas meal, lead your family and friends in communion and adore Jesus together. Second thing that I would encourage you to do is to to delight yourself in Jesus himself. Not for anything he's done, but for who he is. If you want something to kind of help you do that, go to Isaiah 9, chapter chapter 9, verse 6. It says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Just reflect on who Jesus is, that he is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Thirdly, be unselfish in your prayers. Pray for others. Pray for the people that you hate. Pray for the people who've, in your perspective, have abandoned you during COVID. Pray for the people who've parted ways with you politically. Pray for others in adoring Jesus. See, adoration means extravagant passion. Extravagant passion, adoring Jesus the way he's to be adored is offensive to others. 
I would, I would suggest that you do some meditation on Matthew 26 and Mark 14. That contains the story of Jesus going to Simon the leper's house and they're eating and a woman comes in. Not a bad woman, just a woman. That's all the text says. But a woman comes in and she pours out this expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, adoring him. And the disciples are offended by her adoration of Jesus. They make up some reasons why it's inappropriate because that could be used for the poor or whatnot. Yet she is extravagantly adoring Jesus and it offends them. Look, look up Luke chapter seven, where Jesus, another scenario where Jesus is at a Pharisee's house and he's throwing a dinner and a, and a sinful woman shows up. I don't know how that distincts her from anyone else in the house, but a sinful woman <laughs> shows up and she anoints Jesus. And the Pharisees are offended that she would adore Jesus that way. If we truly adore Jesus, there will be people who are offended. Finally, in John chapter 12, Jesus is again at, at Lazarus' house with Mary and Martha. And Mary comes out and she pours out this fragrance on Jesus' feet. And everybody in the house is offended that she would have this extravagant passion wasting this stuff on Jesus. Take some time and look at what these women did in adoring Jesus. Do you only adore Jesus when it's acceptable? We're super willing to offend people for our politics, for our rights and everything else. But we rarely offend people with our adoration of Jesus. Our affection, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus. Is that just a song or is that our life? As the days grow darker, may we be consumed with the person of Jesus Christ. May our affections be stirred to the limits of their intensity. May we respond with an unearthly delight and unspeakable joy when we face Jesus. Oh, come, let us adore him with all our hearts and our minds and our strength. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.